You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. How did you decide to get into show business? Well, it just sort of came to me. I didn't really decide to get into it. I uh, was always a, a, a movie. And the, well, a first-generation television watcher, first of all. So I'm a real full-blown baby boomer. And I grew up in a Navy family. My dad, we were stationed in Hawaii. And my dad was always taking us to the, to the, to the movies. And uh, I grew up in Hawaii and San Diego. So in... I remember my parents' name, Frank Sinatra, was always being thrown around, and uh, we were living in Hawaii when they were shooting From Here to Eternity, and my dad and mom would, would go and watch them shoot the movie at Schofield Barracks when I was a little kid. So I remember my dad going, or my mom going, Joe, Joe, look, there's Frank Sinatra, and I, I don't remember any of this. I mean, I, I do remember, what I do remember is the big lights and going to see Frank Sinatra do a concert at the station we were at, Barbara's Point Navy Station, where we were, where my dad was stationed at. So I don't know if that had an influence or not, but just growing up in that environment and always, you know, your folks taking to the show, and then I would go to the movies all the time, and then television came around. So uh, that had some subliminal influence, I'm sure, but because uh, TV was such a new thing. And so I grew up with all that black and white, and then, you know, like I said, I'm a first-generation television watcher. But that wasn't, I never had thought of being an actor or getting into show business. That I sort of didn't grow up in that environment, you know, as a Navy kid. And uh, so what happened was I got out of the service in 67, and then I needed a job. So a guy who played half Ashby in Transfers 1, Biff Maynard, if you remember, uh, he, I knew him, and I, I said, well, what are you doing? You know, I just got out of the service, and I needed a job. And he said, well, I'm going I'm to be an actor. I'm working over at the Old Globe Shakespeare Festival in San Diego, which is a real famous Shakespeare Festival, and uh, which I didn't know at the time. I said, well, what are you talking about? You're going to be an actor. But nobody does that in San Diego, you know. I mean, I grew up in a surf environment, you know, with a bunch of, uh, in the 60s and hippies and guys like that, you know, surfers. That's the environment I grew up in, you know. But I was around at that time. So anyway, he said, yeah, they need a guy to, uh, you need an extra guy on, uh, uh, over here at the theater. So I learned the backstage building sets and learned to run, I learned backstage work, building sets and running the curtain and being a prop guy, kind of a utility guy. And uh, do you know who Anthony Zerbi is? Oh, yeah. Well, Zerbi was playing Iago. And uh, so I got, I kind of got to know him or I'd watch him work and I would see, wow, this guy's really into this deal here. And I guess as a kid, I was always kind of funny. People thought I was funny and always making cracking wise and all that. I was a wise ass. But anyway, I spoke to Zerby and, and I said, how do you, how do you do this? And we kind of be, kind of befriended me. And I, he's an older guy, he's a really cool guy. So then I got on stage one night and needed a guy to be on stage to hand him a lantern in, 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 in Othello. So we're on stage and, and the scene was taking place we were downstage and he sort of what's that when you whisper sort of voce? Uh to me he goes, Oh, look at that blonde in the front row and I went, Wow. He, he just you know, I went, Ah, we're on stage. I didn't know you could you know, you whispered it to me, you know. <laughs> I said, Oh shit, man, that's pretty cool, you know. <laughs> then then he broke broke out of character he broke out of that saying that to me, and I'm just this guy who handed him a lantern and then the focus of this scene is upstage and then he goes and does the scene, whatever it was. And I would notice that he would walk around outside of the theater at one exit, and he would walk around the outside. And I had to hand him a prop every night, a sword, I believe it was. Uh, and some nights he goes, oh, I got him, I got him, man, I really got him. And other nights he'd be glazed out. He'd just be, he would be Iago, you know. So it kind of, I was in, kind of uh, amazed by that. 
so the years went on, 67, 68, now it's 1968, and I kind of said, well, maybe I'll take a shot at this. And so I asked Zerby what to do, you know, and he said, well, you, you got to study acting. You just got to study, you know. So I went to college, and I didn't really go to college after high school because I wasn't service. He said, you got to study acting. So then I went and got started, started college at an older age of 21, you know, mostly young kids, you know, and worked in the theater. And I got a couple roles in some plays, and I said, well, this is, I'm not really digging this. I mean, I got some to be on stage and do some plays. And, and then I said, well, I think I'm going to move to Los Angeles. So I did that. And all the, during this time, I have to do this Army Reserve meetings or National Guard meetings because you know, I was in the reserves, height of Vietnam. Okay, so now Zerby says, well, you got to study. So I said, well, who, well, how do you do that? He said, well, there's this woman, Stella Adler. I don't know if you know who she is. Brilliant lady, and uh, and I knew nothing. You know, I mean, I was a Cliff Notes guy. You know, the only thing I ever read was Mickey Spillane or a Surfer magazine. I didn't, I didn't know anything. You know, but uh, at any rate, I uh, studied two summers of Stella in Los Angeles in '68 and '69, and we really hit it off. You know, she was well. We she liked me, right? You know? And so I got invited to these parties that they would have at whoever famous actor she was staying at, one of those old Yiddish theater folks that she knew. And she had, uh, I think it was Joseph Schulk. At any rate, we would have these, she invited me to these parties with these you know, old famous actors from New York and Los Angeles, you know, from the studio days. And uh, I remember smoking a joint with James Colburn, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, he had studied with her. So anyway, so now, now it's 1970. I'm still living in Los Angeles, and I'm starting to kind of do a little bit of stand-up comedy and do these, uh, they call open mic nights on a Monday night at the Troubadour. They had one at a place called Lee Little Club, and Lenny Bruce's mother had a place called Sally Mars. There's only a couple of comics back then. So first time I saw Steve Martin was like in 1970, and then Cheech and Chong were starting to, they came around and they were on stage at, at the Troubadour. And, and I took a shot at it, and, and uh, I kind of had a, it wasn't even an act. I would just go up there and just kind of yell at people and just sort of act stupid. But I got a, a review from the Hollywood Reporter, and it was pretty good. I could do this Charles Bronson. I don't know if you've ever seen my act. But, uh, Your Charles Bronson is amazing. Oh, so you've seen that. You've seen my comedy act. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. So then you know what I'm talking about then. So anyway, so I formed this, this act, this half-ass act, I would call it back then. But at the same time, I decided, I said, well, Jesus, you know, if I really want to be an actor, I better go back and really study with Stella because I knew that she tapped into something or something tapped into, she tapped me, something in me, you know, said, God, that's what I want to do. Or, I, I want to pursue that. So I moved to New York, which was a radical move for me coming from California. And, uh, and at the same time, I was studying with Stella just pretty intense stuff, you know. They come over to Manhattan, and Manhattan back in the night, I got out of service in 70, went back there to New York, drove back, this crazy girlfriend. And, and at the same time, I'm doing stand-up. I got some kind of a manager guy out here who I got booked into the, to the bitter end, I think it was. It's where Dylan and like famous guys like that started. I think it was called the bitter end, wasn't it? Does that sound familiar to you? It does sound right, yeah. Yeah, and anyway, I opened for John Prine, the country western singer guy. I got, you know, I got, I got, I got like a real gig. I'm like, oh shit, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, I didn't. He was just starting out. But anyway, and I'm while I'm staying with Stella, I'm also going down to the Improv 
did in doing you know, in New York back then, and was and, and so we're talking seventy one now, nineteen seventy one. So David Brenner's the hot comic, and Robert Klein, and uh, Pryor. You know, these were the guys. Well, Richard, yeah, Richard was well, he went as hot as he got, but he was around. You know, so in all of this time, I first night I was at the Improv, I met Leno, I met uh, uh, Jimmy Walker. Mike Priminger, uh, uh, Richard Lewis. We all kind of started at the same time that Richard Belzer. We all kind of ended up there at the Improv right around at the same time. So those were my peers in New York while I'm studying with Stella. So I stay with her in the daytime and go over there at night and hang around. And, and you know, you got to earn your way up the, the chain. So I was always come on last. And I was like, you know, this kind of long-haired, blonde California surf type guy. You know, they didn't know what the fuck I, who I was, you know, they were just, well, who is this guy? But I was funny, you know, you know, and I didn't really have an act. I just had really sort of series of things. I would sort of yell at the audience and then slowly I developed some kind of a consistency to this comedy act. But anyway, still studying with Stella and doing, you know, what I guess was serious work. But And it was, you know, I was really learning about theater and Strindberg and Chekhov and Tennessee Williams, and she's a brilliant teacher and brilliant, brilliant woman. And also, I had, uh, I lived with her. I was her servant and driver and cook. So I had a back room I stayed in, and I actually lived in the Adler residence. So, and then I, yeah, I was heavy, man. I, I met, like, Gergi Kaczynski, Aaron Copeland, and uh, uh, Leonard Bernstein. You know, these, these would come over, these people would come over to dinner, you know. And she lived right across the street from the Metropolitan Museum. So this was a big, big, wide, widescreen thing for me as I would walk around the streets of New York. And then I drove her to the, actually drove her to the, uh, her and her husband Mitchell at the time, to the opening of The Godfather. Oh, wow. Well, this was a, yeah, so it was like, and I, and at the time I'm doing it, you know, this, I, you know, you know, I don't know what I'm, you don't, you're not thinking about what you're doing, you know, so as I look, reflect on this later, I go, wow, that was a hell of a time, you know. And then one time Brando called up on the phone and I'd lost it. I just, <laughs> you know, I just fucking lost it, you know. Because I said, you know, at the residence, and I said, Stella, there. I speak to Stella. I said, who's calling, please? So Marlon. I, you know, fucking Brando, you know, <laughs> you know, doing cartwheels, you know. So he was, so I mean, anyway. So anyway, I became pretty tight with the Adler family. Anyway, and also at the same time keeping in touch with Zerby. And do you know who Brian James was? Oh, yeah. Well, Brian and I grew up together. We were in the Army. We were in our, we were in our National Guard together. Now, Brian, he's now pursuing acting in the West Coast. And I said, I called him. I said, hey, man, you got to come back here. You got to come back here. This is what's happening. So he moved, got into his girlfriend. He moved back to New York. So now we're both studying with Stella. And we came up together. You know, we know each other since we were 19, 18 years old. But anyway, so I stayed in New York, got a review in... Uh, I started getting club, started getting club dates, you know, from Catch a Rising Star to the Improv. I played a college circuit and still at the same time studying, doing summer classes at Stella. And then I went and got some kind of review. My name was mentioned in Playboy magazine. Why, I don't, I can't remember. I have to go back and look at it. But anyway, so that little bit of ink and play, anywhere would be something, right? So then Brian couldn't take New York anymore, and he went back. said, I'm out of here, man. So then I'm still hanging in New York. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then I got uh, a job. Oh, no, a guy, a casting guy. I got, I got a big open casting call. I met these two guys. And, and they said, hey, uh, you, and they, they were smoking hash, these guys. You know, this is how wide open it was. And, and I 
walked into this office and said, hey, uh, you, you want to be an extra in this movie? I said, yeah, well, yeah, sure, why not? They said, okay, uh, you got to go down and join the Screen Actors Guild, which was at that time like 200 bucks. So, and so I was an extra. I got I got my union card on, you know, it was Serpico was the move. So oh, wow. Yeah, so that, I got my card on Serpico. In the meantime, somebody had seen me do my comedy act of the improv, and I got an agent. So I started getting sent out on commercials, and, and, I, and I ended up getting a, a couple of Army training movies, and I got the Serpico thing, and then I got another, there's a kind of a famous black movie, shot out of Chicago by a Chicago director called the education of Sonny Carson. I started doing film stuff and then, and then I'm doing, you know, still, still studying at Stella's and then I'm on the fence. I want to be a theater guy. And I said, fuck, I don't want you to particularly like theater people. You know, they're all you know, dressed in black and talking about, you know, the craft and all of that. And Stella was a different teacher than after studio. You know, she was just a different style, but, Anyway, so I'm working as a waiter, and then I get a call from Brian. Brian says, "Hey man, I just got a gun smoke. You got to come out here, pitching. You got to come back up, back home." You know, I said, "Wow, you got a gun smoke." Well, so then, do you know who Jeffrey Lewis is? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I go to this, go to the movies one time, and watch this movie. I see this movie, Cold Cold Pepper Cattle Company. I said, "That's it. I'm out of here." So that, I just wanted to get out of New York. So I spent four and a half years there. Four years. Came back to L.A. So about the winter of '74. I drop into the comedy store in Hollywood, and now I got a pretty good full-blown act that I've been honing it back east. And so I wait and I'm, do my stuff and get on stage. And now all the guys from New York are starting to come out west. Walker, Jimmy got good times, and then Belzer was starting to come out, and Richard Lewis made a move out, and and Mike Preminger. So then a lot of and then I'd see some New York actors that I'd worked with, you know, I, I, the guys that I. Not worked with, but had seen in New York. You know, Danny Aiello, who I knew. So Danny was the doorman at the Improv back in the back when I first started. You know, he was like a tough Italian guy at the door. You know, you mess with him, he would punch you out. But then he started getting rolled. And then I see these guys in the street out in L.A. and they go, "Hey, what are you doing? Hey, Tim, how's this?" And you know. And uh, so I started just in the, the comedy store. And then I kind of hit the wall and I said, "Ah, oh, man, I, I am burned out." So it's about seventy. Now seventy seventy four. So I moved back to San Diego, quit for six months, and started surfing a little bit. And I was always I never stopped surfing. And then anyway, I started surfing again, which is something I still do. It's just really hard at my age to do, but I still do it. And I got started working construction, and then I met my 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 first wife, and, and started living in North County, San Diego, kind of commuting back and forth to Los Angeles. And this is like we're talking about seventy five now, seventy four, seventy five, I think it's seventy five. So then I said, man, if I'm going to do this, I got to get back up there. So I never, I always hated LA. To this day, I loathe Los Angeles. Like Elmore, it's like James Elroy, and one of you know James Elroy is the LA Confidential guy. He's got a great line in one of his books called "LA, the, the Big Nowhere," and that's what it is. And so and I'm a San Diego guy anyway. But anyway, I just never liked LA. But I came back here, started doing the comedy store almost every night, and. You know, working as a waiter and stuff like that. I'm making. I'm in my late twenties now. You know, I haven't done anything. You know, I didn't really go to college. I got this thing from Stella, this certificate that's like an act. You know, or you know, you know. But anyway, I got another agent out of it. Howard Ashkenazi was his name. Howard Ashkenazi, an agent. That was his name. He saw me out. He has now moved out west. And he's now with a big time agent called the Gersh Agency. So Phil Gersh is a very famous agency. 
so I got an agent by doing stand-up. And then uh, I, I'm now I'm uh, now Letterman is out here. I met Letterman. All these new guys with the other the guys that I already mentioned to you, you know, Leno and Walker and, and Richard Lewis, and then now David has showed up, and and so there's like a whole new crew of guys. And then I meet Pryor, and well, shit, you know, that was it. You know, Pryor and I became you know, pretty good friends. You know, I mean, you know, we hung hung out together. You know, and and he said, man, and I always did a black guy in my act. I did this kid's first day, first this white kid's first day in a black high school. So I could do an impression of a black guy pretty well. And prior, used to go, damn, man, how you do that shit? How, how you, why do you know how to do that? You know, so where are you from? Where, where are you from, man? <laughs> you know, all this. So, I, you know, so we would hang and bullshit. And so then Car Wash came up. And then the the, the the director came in and saw me in Car Wash. Michael Schultz, the director, and Ruben Cannon, the black uh, casting agent, saw me. And uh, so they brought me in for Car Wash. So I got that. And then, uh, then at the same time, I got another movie with Soccer Channing. And Franklin Lejai, you know Franklin Lejai? Uh, Franklin was in Car Wash. He was in uh, Convoy. He was a very a hit. He called himself the jazz comic. He eventually moved to uh, to Australia. And anyway, he's a very funny kid, black guy. He was in Car Wash. But anyway, um, so I got Car Wash. That was a big movie. So now I got an agent. Now I'm being sent out. You were so good in that. I'm going to Car Wash. Well, I was pretty tuned up from the acting thing, you know, and I could do the comedy too. You know, I'm on stage every night, so you know my confidence is up. And so, all during through these '70s, I'm auditioning for all this different stuff, you know. Then I got a Mannix. Anthony Zerbe got me on Mannix, so I was doing stand-up car wash, did Mannix. Then I ended up getting a. Later, I got a five zero, and then a Starsky and Hutch, and then I did the pilot of Laverne and Shirley, and then I got. You know, I started starting to work as an actor, you know, and still doing stand-up, you know. And I ended up doing the Merv Griffin show up in Vegas when he was, when he had a show out of Vegas, stand-up. But I could never, it was really hard for me to transfer my act from the live stage to a five-minute segment on TV. It was just, I could never find a chunk because I worked kind of blue and a lot of the stuff I did was, just couldn't get away with it, you know. But I tempered it down enough to where I, 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 I found a way to do it. So anyway, I got Griffin and I did Mike Douglas and Dinah Shore and all those shows during the 70s, right? And the big the big one was always to get Carson, you know. That was always the big one. So now I'm working and then I get a... Uh, remember this TV show, Quark? Are you familiar with that? With, uh, Richard Benjamin, right? Yeah. I get that job on NBC. And that was great. So I got a great role in a funny show. And unfortunately, they only did eight of them. But it was a pretty hip show for the time. And now during this time, I'm still doing stand-up and working up these little clubs up and down the coast and the comedy store. And then I meet, meet Robin Williams uh, down in Newport Beach. He's playing on the same bill with me. So I see him. I go, Jesus, man. So well, where are you from? He said, oh, I'm from San Francisco. And, you know, so what are you doing? I said, you got an agent? What do you do? You know, I'm sleeping in my car. Sleeping in your we, had, we were staying in a condo down there. But he would drive from Frisco and then stay down here and sleep in his car and then kind of go around and he got hired. And I said, well, shit, man. So I turned him on to this agent and then he got his first agent through me. And so we, we were pretty good friends, you know. We hung together, ran around together, you know, young, crazy guys in Los Angeles. Comics. And he got, then he gets court. I mean, more. So anyway, so then, and then I ended up doing a guest shot on that show, and then I, I said I did five zero. Yeah, I started to do guest shots on um, you know on, on TV seventies television, and uh, and still doing the stand up. And then finally I get a shot on Carson, and uh, 
uh, Gabe Kaplan was the guest host. And I knew Gabe from back east. And so I did my show. I did my act, and it went pretty well. And I remember Brian James was in the audience and Fred Dreyer, who was number who was Hunter. Remember Hunter on TV show? Oh, yeah. So yep. Fred, we, see, Fred went to, we all grew up together. Fred, we, I've known Fred since we were 18 because he played at San Diego State and we were all San Diego guys. Anyway, they were in the audience together. So, And that same night I did my act, we saw Brando later in a restaurant, which all of us flipped out about. You know? So I finally get a Carson shot. And then uh, back then, in fact, I, you know, I'm still in touch with Letterman and we had these conversations once in a while. You know, Back then, there was only three networks. You know, It's just... just Fox hasn't even been developed, so it was tough to get into this stuff, you know. But somebody saw me, and then I got a deal at ABC. They signed me to a deal. Oh, no, I got a deal at NBC, but they'd hold you for a year, and you could do NBC, anything on NBC. You couldn't do any other television. Uh, you couldn't do any other series, but you could do guest shots on other networks. That's what it was. Or you could do movies or whatever. So anyway, uh, then Robert Altman's assistant, saw me do, uh, there was a show, you remember, there was Wolfman Jack had a show called Midnight Special, and then there was the rock concert, it was on Friday night at midnight or something. Well, one of Altman's people saw me do this comedy act, and they brought me in to meet Altman, and he said, well, you're pretty funny, and I said, yeah, well, okay, and he's a cool guy, and now we're talking about 1976, or I think it's, that's when it was. So they're going to shoot this movie, you ever heard of this movie called A Wedding? Oh, yeah. Just a ton of people in that one. Oh, it's a big, I mean, a big lineup, a big shot people in that movie, certainly from, you know, and, and, and I, I'm in the Carol Burnett camp of the, of the movie. And so Altman says, well, I'd like you to be in this movie. And I said, oh, shit. Okay, betcha. This is great. Wow, this is far out, you know, being be in a Robert Altman movie. So I go back and we shoot this thing in Waukegan, Illinois, at the Armour Meat Mansion's giant mansion on Lake Michigan. Incredible building. Anyway, so I meet all these, you know, Howard Duff and Victoria Gassman and Carol Burnett and Geraldine Chaplin and uh, Mia Farrell. You know, there's some big time people in this thing, you know, and, and there, there's no script. So I play this character, Russell Bean, but I'm with Carol Burnett and her side of the, if you've ever seen the movie, her side of the people of, of, of this, her family, marries into this family. Anyway, so I go to Altman one time. I said, Bob, I, I says, you know what? So what do you want me to do, man? There's, you know, I mean, there's not really any dialogue here. I'm kind of, he says, well, look, you're with Carol Burnett. You're with Paul Dooley. You're with all these other actors. You guys get together. And, and when I, I roll action, you guys, you know, come up with something. I said, and then that's how Stella, I was, my training and, and studying with Stella, so I knew how to build a character, and I had enough moxie, how to, and I'd done enough stand-up to, and working with Carol was incredible, because she was just like the band leader, you know, she was so brilliant, but it was really neat working with these people, and then I started to learn about camera and how it moved, and started to learn the, the nomenclature of film work, you know, because I would watch, because it was slower than TV, the TV is, you know, would rush you, you know. Back then, man, you had to know your words, hit your mark, and say your lines and get out. You can't waste time. So I, I started noticing the that. So I learned from these old camera guys. In fact, on Hawaii Five O, I, I remember a guy coming up to me going, listen, kid, you got to learn how to do the Henry Fonda. And I said, what the hell are you talking about? He said, you stood up too quick in that scene. You the dolly grip. He said, I couldn't catch you in the film. you got to stand up real. So I started learning how to behave on camera and learning to always go to the cameraman and say, hey, can I look through the lens and look and see what, what I... So I, I learned how to do that. I, I taught myself to go meet the camera guys and, and teach myself. I just said, hey, guys, I like to do the lens. Most actors don't 
don't do that. You know, they're full of shit. They don't want to, they want to be actors. <laughs> you know, they don't want to learn anything. <laughs> so I kind of got, you know, knew what was going on on, on the camera, you know, I knew what to do in the lens, so from all of that experience. But anyway, I started to get all these roles. Now, fast forward up to, what are you going to ask me from now? You continue to work with uh, Richard Pryor, doing right. um, well, Richard some kind was, of hero. Right, correct. And then uh, there's another one I did, I can't remember, uh, a small role. Yeah, you were the, the tour, gu- tour bus the tour guy, guy on, um, Which Way Is Up. Yeah, Which Way Is Up, and I'll never forget that... that uh, the DP on that was a very famous DP who shot uh, Chinatown, Mexican guy. Very famous DP. Yeah, John Alonzo. And I remember him, you, you know, bad mouth and, and really pissed me off. And I heard him saying something to a guy about that unprofessional goddamn. Because I did something wrong. I, you know, I, you know, leaned into France. I, 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 you know, and I really got hot about it. I remember getting really, really pissed off. Because I heard the guy say something. You know, I was pretty fucking hot about it. Because you know, Richard got me the job, and, and uh, it was a small role, and it was a kind of a chicken shit thing, I thought, for him to say. Goddamn unprofessional act. You know, I heard him say it under his breath, and he was saying it about me, these other people. So later on that day, they were standing around playing liar's poker or something. And, uh, I walked by him and went, hey, man, uh, I heard what you said. What are you talking about? I grew up in California, so I grew up with Mexicans my whole life, you know. This guy's a brilliant, he was in the Magnificent, he was an actor in Magnificent Seven. But I remember, uh, I remember it just really offended me, you know. But I, I called him on it. I said, hey man, I heard what you said back there, you know, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, you bad about me in front of these people, you know. I'm just trying to do my job, I'm new at this. You know, well, okay man, I'm sorry about that, you know, that kind of shit. Anyway, that was a little tidbit, you know. <laughs> But I never forgot that. But Richard was very, very good to me. You know, and good to a lot of guys. He gave a lot of guys a lot of, you know, he gave Robin got Robin and, 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 and uh, Paul Mooney and Sarah, Sarah um, uh, or Bernhardt, which I did not Sarah Bernhardt. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Son- Sandra Bernhardt. Yeah. Sandra. He gave Sandra and a lot of young comics basically when he did his TV. TV show, and I did the pilot for his TV show. Richard was really a good guy. I mean, that's, and, and now I'm getting to be not great friends, but, you know, Letterman and I, you know, we spend time together in the bullpen at the comedy store, everybody hanging out back and bullshit. And so I'm meeting all these guys, and then all of us are starting to go our separate ways. You know, Leno always never stopped performing, and to this day he's still performing, and then, then David spun off and got, got a deal somewhere. And anyway, so yeah, I did work with Richard and uh, spent a lot of great time with him. And then there were nights at the comedy store that were unbelievable. You'd see Pryor and Robin and David and you'd see, you know, Pryor would come in and it just, there was just a, a light would just come over the comedy store. The guy was so brilliant, you know, and, uh, and I had to follow him a couple of times, you know, that's, that's not easy. You know? <laughs> I don't imagine it was. Oh, no, no. It was, it was tough going, man. You're going to follow Richard Pryor. Are you bullshitting me? You know? But he was cool, you know. Like I said, he was just, just a good guy, you know. And um, so anyway, so now we're pushed into the 80s. And uh, and like I said, I started getting these roles in these movies. And I forget what the, the lineup is. I have to look at it you know, on IMDb. And so I guess for now, what do you want to know? <laughs> I remember you playing a uh, a highway patrolman in a couple uh, a couple things like Honky Tonk Man and the Osterman Weekend. The Honky Tonk Man was, I went in for, I forget what year that was, but they just took a Polaroid picture of me. And the next thing I know, they say, well, you got a, you got, you got the job. And it was just a tiny, small scene. We shot it in the west, 
east side of the Sierras in a place called Genoa, Nevada, uh, right, right close to Carson City. In fact, we stayed in Carson City. And then we drove out the highway because it kind of would double a red Stovall, you know, Clint's character. was driving across country. Remember, he's driving across country to go uh, to go to the Grand Opry or to, uh, to go somewhere and record and audition or something. So, yeah, I... Uh, I mean, it was great, man. I was just, I mean, Clint Eastwood, this, uh, this is far out, you know. <laughs> so, and my shot was at the end of the day, and we started to the sun started to go down. He goes, okay, Tim, uh, we're going we're gonna to do your close-up now and uh, step in here, and, uh, and we'll rehearse this one time, and we're going to shoot it. Well, okay. And it was a pretty funny little piece, you know, if you remember. And I, I thought it was funny. So we, and his kid Kyle was there, and, and, and I forget that actress's name, but I think passed away. And John McIntyre, the famous old character actor, and his wife. And so I did that, and uh, we did one take, man. It's just like you read about when he says, you know, he didn't like to waste any, waste any time. And he shook my hand. He goes, good work, kid. Way to go. You know, and I was just lost with Clint Eastwood, man. I was just like, my, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. But he was so cool. He's such a cool guy. You know? So now fast forward to Osterman weekend. When I did take this job in Charlotte, I met a series of stunt guys. And there's a particular stunt man named Tom Huff. He IPTB, and he's quite a guy. But Tom Huff is a guy that, as a kid growing up in San Diego, we were fight fans. I used to see him fight on TV. And he was always really, never never lost a fight. He always went on point. He was like a, a six-round guy, you know, and a tough guy. Really good fighter. My dad was a fight fan anyway. So this name was in my head, right? And my best friend I grew up with, his cousin knew Tom Huff. Anyway, like I said, fast forward to take this job to show it. I meet Huff and I meet these other stunt guys. And so now I'm starting to write dirt bikes and Huff you know, kind of got me really tuned up to, to really learn how to ride a dirt bike pretty well. So I, you know, the, the great escape because McQueen was the hero, right, of every guy, right? So, you know, I was riding, you know, riding pretty well with these stunt guys. So I was in between agents, and Huff calls me up, and he says, uh, he taught, hey, man, he taught like this, hey, dude, you want to do this role in this fucking movie? I'm on, you know, it was really a character, you know. I said, well, what are you doing? He says, well, I need a guy to ride a motorcycle and talk to this other actor, you know, this other Hollywood phony actor. You want to fucking do it? You know, this is how this guy really talked. So, well, yeah, what do you want me to do? He says, well, yeah, you know, I got to work, you know, fucking peck and paw. I said, peck and paw? You know, I, I said, are you kidding me? He says, yeah, man, I, you know, I, you know, I coordinated a convoy and peck and paw like me, so I'm doing this one now. So he's a stunt coordinator. I said, man, I, you know, I'll play a dead body. I don't give a shit. Yeah, hell yeah. So I get on the set and suit up and, and this motorcycle cop. And I had already done some roles prior to that. I think I had like two lines in that thing, you know, maybe. I get on the set and we go, we're shooting down by the airport. I'm you know, familiar with Los Angeles, but a series of freeways, overpasses, it's a Michigan crazy stuff. So we're over down down by the airport. And so Puff takes me and he says, uh, hey, Sam, this is Tim. He's uh, the guy who's going to ride the motorcycle and pull the guy over. Second pot standing there, smoking a cigarette, got a headband on, sunglasses. I'm, you know, I'm like trying not to really lose it. You know, this is like my one of my hero guys, you know, and I'm not too enamored with many people, you know, but this guy, you know, pecking pot, you know, but whatever, without, without a beat. I said, well, I'm all eager. And I said, well, Mr. Peckinpah, what do you want me to do, sir? And he says, uh, see that bridge right there, kid? I said, yeah. He says, I want you to come underneath that bridge 90 and slide. And I went, what? 
going, wait a minute, sir, I'm, I'm not a stuntman, I'm an actor. And then he looks at me, he says, oh, you're an actor, huh? Oh, okay, all right. So, uh, so you're not going to lay the bike down and slide and slide a 90, huh? And he's that fucking bridge there. And so him and Huff had set me up. It was a joke, you know. <laughs> so, but it was just, I just, it was classic, you know. I just couldn't, it was just unreal. And then I, then I think it was Craig Keenel. Yeah, it was Craig Keenel. So I pulled over and gave him a note about the thing. And so that was a favor for Tom, but I got to be with Peckinpah for that day. So it was like incredible. And at that time, Courtney Joyner was working for Sam Peckinpah because he was a young kid in school at, at SC Film School. He was running around, kind of a runner for Peckinpah. And anyway, ironically, later we met and worked together. So, but yeah, those two Highway Patrol character guys that you saw. What was it like working on Near Dark? Well, Near Dark was uh, when I read that script by Eric Red. That script that I read, they shot everything that was in that script was shot exactly like it was written, which which I noticed. Well, it was quite an experience for me because you know you got some pretty top flight actors, and that was a really a different character for me to play because of the guys I'd been playing. But I had worked with Adam Green, the DP, on Iron Eagle, so I knew him. And Catherine Bigelow, pretty sharp, uh, pretty sharp. But the cast made that thing. I mean, you got Lance, who's just a genius, I think, and, and then uh, Jenny, uh, Jenny Wright, and then Adrian. I mean, they were just pitch perfect. And then Paxton, who's always great, and and then uh, Jeanette Goldstein. I mean, they're, they're brilliant. I mean, they came out of the Aliens crew, right? So, but Adam Greenberg, the director of photography, is responsible for the look of that movie, which had a hell of a look. And you got to remember that was before CGI. So it, it really was that bar scene where those guys, you know, beat the shit out of those bikers. Is it's pretty pretty frightening and compelling all at the same time. And it was really well acted. And Lance, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I mean, we're shooting this in, in, in Arizona and we're at a little Ramada Inn outside of a small uh, ranching community where real truckers would stay at, real truckers, you know, guys going up and down, you know. So Lance had all these, he was a method guy. He'd stay in character. He had fingernails he had on, his hair was and he never took a bath and he was crazy and he was smoking cigarettes and constantly and he was you know he's always like oh, you know hey yeah, how you doing yeah yeah you know he's always in character so I'm having breakfast one morning or a salad or it was, it was lunch I was having eating a salad and, and Lance walks into the coffee shop you know and dressed like he was in the movie it's just crazy we're in a real truck stop with real truckers out. this is in the mid 80s man the late 80s so he pulls out a, a six shooter and starts twirling it well I go, hey man, we you know. so now these truckers are sitting in the back and they're they boat up real quick and going, oh shit, what's going on here? And I said, hey man, put that fucking thing away, man. God, I like staying character. I like staying character. Hey Lance, I'm, I'm out of here. So I, I I got up and walked away, you know, because I knew that you know in the real world, you know, and apparently on that movie, Lance told me later he they, he and Paxton got pulled over by some Arizona. Highway Patrol guy, and they were in costume, and they were so crazy, <clears throat> and they were behaving really nuts, and they had all that makeup and shit on, and, and the cop just said, all right, just, get, get out of here, just get away, you know, just, you know, he didn't want to talk to these guys, but it, it was, I think, one of the best vampire movies ever, ever made, and the way it was shot, like I said, with, with Adam. Steve Altman, Bob Altman's kid, was the set designer, and uh, it was just a, a well- acted, well-shot movie. And I'm 
and I liked that character I played because I never even shot to play a guy like that. You know, that was a completely different guy than, than most guys I've been playing. You know, so uh, it was it was a great experience. You know, I really enjoyed it. And uh, like I said, working with those actors and getting to know Lance. You know, it's just it's I worked with him several times after that. The fact if you get time, you should punch up, bring me the head of Lance Hendrickson. It's a, a mockumentary we've been shooting over the years, and I'm just getting ready to hit the film festivals here pretty soon. I've never heard of it, but. We spoke to Lance a few years ago when he uh, brought out his autobiography. Right, and, right, uh, right, right. Yeah, he was talking a little bit about that then, and yeah, I can't wait to see it. Well, it's it's just it's Michael Worth, this kid that I don't know if you know who he is, but um, he punched his name up, Michael Worth. Yeah, it's just it's not scripted. It's just Lance and I driving around and me, Tim Thomerson, trying to figure out well, how come he's always working and I'm not working anymore. I don't get it because Lance never stops working. He works once, so he he just works all the time. Anyway, it's pretty funny and it's not scripted, which is really interesting to do because there's just it's just the guy says, all right, we're just driving down, you know. Anyway, so but that that experience was great. He said that you're still surfing after all these years. You're yeah, still so acting, now, obviously. Well, I, I I don't act so much anymore. I've done these voices on these video games. Really, I will work for certain guys like you know, uh, uh, Michael Work. I'll do anything for Michael or David Nutter calls me. But you know, it's it's a completely different game now. And and I don't want to drive to Burbank and audition with a bunch of other old actors, you know. And it's just completely different. It's just changed over the years, you know. And I'm not saying I've my had my run, but you know, I've done. 40 years of show business is a pretty long time. Right one, uh, yeah, the wife, I met my wife on Dollman. She was a makeup artist. And she had the pleasure of making up uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's first movie, Cyborg. You don't want to get her going on that. But well, what did you ask me? I'm sorry, I forgot. You're still acting. You're still surfing. Are you still doing the stand-up ever? Oh, God, no. Geez, I, I couldn't. Uh, Letterman brought me on the show to, on his show to do a series of this. This cowboy character, about ten of them, a couple of years ago, and then that was kind of fun. But uh, I try to surf as much as I can, even though I got beat up pretty bad the other day. <laughs> I'm always the oldest guy in the water. I gotta work, man. <laughs> pretty big surf, you know. I don't know what the hell am I doing out here? Why am I doing this? What did I do this for? You know. But, uh, but I spent ten summers going to Phuket, Thailand. Last summer being the last time I'm. I'll do a surfing there because I could guy my age could get waves out there and you know, another crew, a bunch of old Aussies out there and some couple of handful of Yanks, you know, still surfing. And it was cheap and I'd worked in Thailand on Air America and Uncommon Dollar and I'd done another movie there with Terry Tagawa and Ali McGraw. I forgot the name of it. But anyway, I spent a lot of time there so I knew the country, you know. Probably Uncommon Dollar is my my, one of my all-time favorite movies, just to having the opportunity of working with Hackman and Fred Ward. And that crew of guys was really fun. And, you know, the director, Kotcheff, was good. You know, he was really a good director. I thought it was a good movie, you know. And oh, yeah. Air, Air America, having the opportunity working with Downey and Gibson, those guys were great. You know, I mean, Downey, you can't, the guy's just a genius, you know. I mean, he's just, just an incredible guy. It was a fun movie to work on, you know. Gibson was great. And, and Art, we're working with Art again, you know. Art and I work in Rome and Thailand and all over the world together, you know. Uh, so Art and I have known each other for years and, and worked together, so he was always fun to work with, you know. And that's a good movie, I think, Air America. I think it is. I was really glad to see you show up in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, that was, man, I walked in there and... Gilliam, I walked in and I had that. I loved, you know, certainly that was a book that we all read growing up. And, and I really 
came up with this character. And Gillian, you know, he's sitting there and he's watching me really intently and he's going, yeah, it's okay, you're, 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 gonna, you're the God. And I went, oh my God, I'm this fucking fear of loathing, I'm going to do this. And I had done Jump Street. I had done a Jump Street and I think it was Depp's last time he worked on Jump Street. So you, once again, fast forward, whatever, that was 88 or 89, I think, I can't remember. Maybe it was in the 90s, early 90s, I don't remember exactly, but I get on the snow in the 90s, sometime in the 90s. So I get on the set and uh, there's Depp in full character. You know, he's Hunter Thompson, he's got earplugs, listen to music. So we're outside of Vegas shooting in the desert and, and he looks over at me and, and I didn't say anything. I used to tell he was in his actor mode, you know. But he jumps out of character and he goes, walks over and says, hey man, how you doing? He remembered me. I couldn't believe it. He was oh, wow. Guy and he had these bitching, he had these motorcycles, these cherried out, trying beautiful bikes. He says, my sister says, who's yours? He says, yeah, you want to ride one? I went, oh, maybe not. No, no, man. No, but they were so nice because, but they weren't bikes that were supposed to be in the desert. They were street bikes. Some of them, you know, should have been riding them. But, but anyway, later on, I ended up riding one of these grips. That's this group if I could ride his bike. Well, I, well, I actually, the kid let me ride it. You want to ride my bike, man? Yeah, that was a real dirt bike. But he was great. It was great. I mean, working with Terry Gilliam and that character. I mean, and if you see the movie, if you blink, I'm in it for a second. But in the, I'll tell you what a class act Terry Gilliam is. You know, in the movie that was originally first came out, I'm hardly in that. It's, and it's, uh, uh, he's the CSI guy. The CSI, you know, Terry, uh, what's his name? Sam Dobber's husband and Mark Harmon and I are, and we're in that scene together with some other guy. And Depp comes in between us. If you remember the movie, remember that scene. And I said, "God damn, what day is it?" Something like that. And then it's cut. But Gilliam was such a such a good guy. He sent me the extended version of that with a note saying, "Well, here you are." In, in, the, in, in the extended version of the movie and in the DVD that was released with a little note, which, I mean, nobody does that. That's a class act. You know, Terry Gilliam actually sending me a note and saying, Here, here's the rest of the scene, man. I mean, I just went, wow. And he's an American, too, by the way. I think you knew that. He, he was the only American in that Monty Python crew. But that, that was really just incredible. Yeah, it was so much fun doing that, you know. Just, just, just to be in that was like, wow, you know, I don't have to do anything anymore. and go home now. But yeah, that was quite an experience. And, and having to work with Stallone and Dolly Parton and, and Richard Farnsworth, that, that was great, you know. That, I mean, Stallone, he later, and I didn't find this out until later on, much later on. He, he gave me that role because the transfers, he saw me in transfers. And somebody told me, inside, it might have been his brother that told me that. And I did never know that. But he was, you know, a stupid, silly movie. But it's so bad, it's good. Like one of the worst movies of the 80s. But I thought he part was class. Yeah, she was like an amazing person, you know. Just this neat lady. And he was cool. And, and the Richard Farnsworth, that was like working with, you know, uh, cream of the crop, you know. I mean, that guy having to in stories. And I knew his son, Diamond, is a stunt guy. So I knew his, his son. And uh, that was just great. I just got to work with him. He was one of my heroes, you know. And if you see him in old John Wayne movies, he was, and he's in Papillon as one of the guys who tracks the guys down. He's a stuntman forever, you know. And uh, he cracked through with the movie stuff, you know. And in fact, I think he was nominated for something. I think Comes a Horseman, I think. But no, not Comes a Horseman. Something, something with James Conn, I can't remember. Yet. I know he was in uh, Misery, just real brief role. He was in Misery, but the, if you ever want to know if you've ever seen it, it's, it's, it's called the, the Gray Fox. Well, that's that was his breakthrough, you know. <laughs> But he was a real cowboy and a real, just a neat, neat guy. 
I got to work with some real heroes of mine. Wilford Brimley, Hackman, you know, Dick Farnsworth. I mean, you know, then Zerby, you know, Anthony was, you know, I worked with Anthony. Was, I did a Young Riders with him. He's been my mentor since I was a kid, you know. And then Brian James and I, you know, growing up together, we worked together a couple times, you know. Yeah, I was so glad to see you guys show up and uh, brain smash her love story. <laughs> yeah, well, there's another guy, you know, uh, 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 Andrew, you know, Andrew is not that guy, you know, Andrew is Andrew, that guy he does is a complete act, you know, Andrew's like this really, really sweet, nice guy, you know, but that role he did in that, that uh, Woody Allen movie was brilliant in that, he was really that character, you know, he was not anything, dice play, he was really believing in that character, you know, so yeah, that was fun, that was, that was, that was a lot of fun to do that, you know, <laughs> Brian and I could, we didn't have to work together, you know, because we could spend so much time together, you know, but, uh, yeah, and then uh, there's a couple of things I did called God's Ears. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, I haven't seen that yet. I want to track that down and see that. That's quite a movie with Michael Worth, and, and there's a. It's about autism, and I play an autistic guy, and it's interesting. And then I did a. There's a movie I'm pretty proud of called The Last Chance that Brian Cranston directed before Brian became right before he got uh, Malcolm, and I had worked with him uh, down in Mexico on a series with Fred Dreyer. He's a, he's a genius, this guy, you know. And he gave me the best piece of direction I ever, anybody ever gave me. He said, we're doing this little movie on the desert. And uh, I said, you know, Brian, what he said, look, Tim, just say the words. Just just say them. Just talk. Don't act it. Don't do anything. Just say the word. I went, wow. And it was a pretty big speech, you know. And so, because usually the guys I play, you know, I got my art. My brow is arched. I got a gun on my hand or I'm, you know, snarling at somebody. You <laughs> But it was like just the character talking to another character, so it was, it was interesting when you when you peel it all down and just or be talking on camera, you know. And it's a pretty good little movie called Last Chance that Brian directed, and uh, and Art Lafleur's in that too. Uh, who else went in on there? Mike Mike White. <laughs> well, I will ask you just one more question since I've taken up on almost an hour and a half of your time, and I want really, to thank you again. Really, an hour and a half? Are you shouldn't? Yeah. I want to thank you again for for taking all the time to talk today. Well, you got I mean you got enough crap in there to edit it down. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. oh yeah. You had mentioned that you've been doing a lot of the uh, voiceovers for video games and then we've got Bring Not the a Head lot. of Lance. You know, I did uh Saints Row 3, two two of those and uh god Danny would know the answer to this and John Milius wrote the the words to uh, I don't I've done three of them. But one I cannot remember. Danny would know the answer to it. Saints Row through. No, I did still know four before. Danny knows the answer to the to the ones that I don't know, and but I know I done three Saints Row, two Saints Row three, and two for Bills. You know, what they are for the ones for Bills, I have no idea. We we were skyping from China, from Japan, like eleven o'clock in the morning in 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 L.A. And these guys were like four or five in the morning in Japan, and we were and these guys were speaking. And when the, one of the American guys spoke perfect perfect Japanese, they were translating what they wanted me to do in this. Uh, in this voiceover thing. And one was stop motion, or not stop motion, what am I talking about? It was Motion capture? Yeah, motion capture. That was really weird. Because <laughs> you're in this costume, and, you know, then they, it's just it's really weird, you know, because you have to put all this stuff on your, this silly outfit, Velcro, and this, put all these things on your face. It's just a very odd experience. But that's how they shoot movies nowadays. You see everything in CGI, everything on CGI, you know, everything. There's no real film left, <laughs> So let me see some shot on them on film, you know. But everything's so high tech. So that's one thing I can say about 
that interest, interests you at all is that coming from having the opportunity to work with old studio guys and working with big old Mitchell cameras, working up into the video, uh, you know, video village world, and then now, you know, you can shoot a movie on a can on your cell phone. The technology is incredible. There's still nothing like actual film. There's still nothing like it, even though, you know, this, you know, this stuff on high def is incredible, you know, but uh, watching the technology. But it's still the same stuff. You know, you're on the set, you got to know your words, you better hit your mark and quit screwing around. And that's how I came up, you know. Let's, let's shoot this and move on, guys, you know. Gun and run. That was always the call. Let's, just, let's get this thing done, boys. <laughs> so what can we expect to see from you next? Uh, I really don't have an answer for that because I would say I'm retired, I would think, you know, unless some, something comes along and they want to put me in it or, you know, it's something for Danny or Michael Worth or, or you know, there's only a couple, or unless somebody calls me and says, hey, we want you, you want to be in this, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just sort of... Um, Drive, you know, drive up and down the coast to go see my kid, and I go surfing, and then, you know, then my wife has a full-blown job, and I just kind of an older guy, you know, driving around California, not up to Montana, and then Idaho, and then down to San Diego. <laughs> That's sort of uh, kind of what I do, you know. But, uh, I just live in the desert, and I bought a house in the desert, but I got a apartment in Santa Monica, and a house in San Diego. And, you know, fortunately, I've traveled the world quite a bit in this business. I got to be on all on. Almost every continent except Australia and Asia. Well, not no, except well, Hong Kong. I don't know if that's continent. But. So I travel quite a bit in, in this. You know, I got to see the world a lot. So, you know, that's my, that, that's it. You got enough there to wrap it up. Oh yeah, this has been terrific. Thank you so much. Oh, you this bet. Has been you a bet. Thanks, real man. pleasure talking to you. Well, Mike, thanks a lot, man. And thanks to Fritz to talk to him. Yeah. Okay, we'll do.